This has been a journey for me. I don't know about for you. Hopefully it has been a a life transformative journey as we have studied and been looking at voices. Being able to distinguish and first of all know that there's lots of voices in our heads and our souls and being able to distinguish those voices and call them out. This is my parents' voice. This is the voice of my coach growing up. This is the voice of my own childhood. This is an event in my life that has spoke volumes to me. And being able to distinguish those voices from the voice of God is so important because we don't even realize sometimes how much the other voices out there drowned out the voice of God. And we have been trying to help everyone and myself included to hone in and to be able to hear, discern is the word we've used, discern the voice of God. And we've asked you each week, I'll ask you yet again this week, to consider writing out what God has said to you. Thoughts disentangle themselves when they move from your lips to your fingertips. You're just able to put things down and it causes you to wrestle with the the words and actually see it black ink on white paper. It's so helpful. And then to go back on your way out or during our worship time to go back and to actually hang this on the Lord Speaks walls that we have and kind of the entryways when you come in. This is something that I did this morning. God's saying something so clearly to me this week that I just was so rejoicing in it, wrote it down, hung it up there, and uh, just it's almost a declaration moment. It's almost like uh, just nailing the theses into the wall as, or into the door as Martin Luther did. It's almost like writing that declaration of independence because for some of you, it is, I am not going to live in fear any longer. Or some of you, I'm going to have to learn. You're, you're, you're saying things that you know you need to say, and you're hearing things that you know you need to hear. So I encourage you, keep doing that. And as we continue to wrestle with discerning the voice of God, let me give you a couple of warnings as we get started today. One of those warnings is that you don't need to try to feel your way into God's will. Okay, that'll only leave you confused. You try to feel your way into something. I feel this way, or my gut says this, or I think this. Be, be careful about that, that you don't just feel your way into something because your gut will lead you astray. Sometimes the sweaty palms is not God saying no. He's actually saying yes. He's just calling you out of your comfort zone. And, and sometimes the warm fuzzy that, hey, I need to make this move, or I need to make this decision, or I need to enter into this, or whatever it may be, uh, is actually not God. It's actually just your lust of the flesh calling you forward into that, into that danger sense. So here's the danger. If you operate on your feelings, you let your feelings guide you, your feelings will lead you astray. So here's just a life principle for you. You don't feel your way into a good work. You work your way into a good feeling. All right. Sometimes God's calling you is not going to feel good. It's like, I don't really want to go there. I don't want to get my passport. I don't want to go to West Africa. I don't want to do this. I don't want to give that. I don't want to forgive that person. I'm hanging on to that, 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 that issue out there. Whatever it is, you're hanging on to it. And God's saying, let go of it. And you don't want to. And you don't feel like it. Well, you need to do the good work. And then you'll find the freedom. And there's a, something I'm going to share with you in a few moments that I think that will totally make that, make that clear. Here's the second warning for you. Is don't try to figure God into some algorithm, okay? Uh, That'll only frustrate you. It's not keeping your head down and writing it out and figuring it and calculating it. What is God's will and, you know, trying to put all the pieces above. Listen, listen, all the pollsters did that this past week and they failed miserably, right? So um, 
You know, don't, don't, don't go at that. It's not keeping your head down and trying to figure out God's will. It's keeping your eyes up and entering into this relationship that you're going to discern God's voice. Very first week, I read this verse. I want to read it again. It comes back to it. Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Beautiful. I love it. How am I going to get there? Is it going to be my feelings that are going to get me there? Is it going to be a calculation? Is algorithm going to get me there? What's, what's going to get me there? No, it's going to be I will counsel you with my eye upon you. There's an intimacy in that. There's a proximity in that. There's a relationship in that. That I, I get closer to God, I look into his eyes, I, can, I see, it's almost like a, like a son can look at the disappointment of a father or, or that angry look of a mother across a room, you know, or, or, or that disgust of a close friend who's maybe not happy with you any longer. And you know it, you know it through the nonverbals. That's the relationship that we should have with God. We don't give up whenever we can't figure it out. You stay in there. You stay in the relationship. Corporate worship is one of those ways you're going to hear God's voice. You're going to hear it in a song. There'll be a phrase of a song that will stick with you, and you'll sing it all week long. I was driving yesterday back from Little Rock, and there was a song that came on the radio that meant so much to me a year and a half ago, and it just brought me to tears from a year and a half ago. So sometimes it's a song, sometimes it's a message, sometimes it's a, a word from somebody, sometimes it's just one verse and it's not even what I'm talking about, but it's what God says to you in that verse. You know, corporate worship is valuable to that. Also personal worship. You're going you're gonna to experience God as you get alone in your sacred places and as you get up a, while, a great while before dawn. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You're going to do that. But here's something I want to take it to a new level today. Will we learn to practice the presence of God? 24-7, wherever we are, whatever we got going on. This was said of Brother Lawrence, is what they called him. He felt closer to God during the everyday stuff of life than when he hunkered down into formal prayer times that often left him spiritually dry. Who's this Brother Lawrence guy? In fact, I want to, how many of y'all ever heard of Brother Lawrence? Okay, a handful of y'all. So this is a guy that was a French guy, went into a monastery uh, back 300 years ago when he was 26 years of age. He did not even qualify to be a monk. He was clumsy. They said every time he touched something, it would break. He was not educated. He didn't have the pedigree. He did not qualify to be a monk. So what he ended up doing is he ended up serving in the kitchen, making food for the monks. He ended up fixing their sandals when they would break being a cobbler, a shoe cobbler, if you will, for the monks. He didn't qualify to go in and write the scriptures. He didn't qualify to go in and to pray. He wasn't that kind of elite kind of individual. But yet, 300 years later, we're still talking about Brother Lawrence. Across denominational lines, across mainstream, across the different faiths out there. This is what A.W. Tozer said about Brother Lawrence. He says he wrote very little. But what he wrote has seemed to several generations of Christians to be so rare, so beautiful as to deserve a place near the top among the world's greatest books of devotion. It's a little book about like that called Practicing the Presence of God. And it's basically a compilation of 16 letters that he wrote. 
And in these letters, they're so densely packaged. A.W. Tozer says that it is among one of the rarest books of, of devotion. This is a statement that he makes in one of his letters. He said, to take delight in, to become accustomed to. This is how he describes practicing the presence of God. To take delight in, to become accustomed to his divine company. Speaking humbly and conversing lovingly with him all the time, at every moment, without rule or measure, all the time, at every moment, without rule or measure, all the time, at every moment. So when you're doing the soup kitchen, when you're, you're fixing somebody's sandal, you're talking to God. Whenever you're living out your life, you're talking to God. When you're driving down the road, you're talking to God. When you're putting your shoes on your kids, you're talking to God. You're in this constant conversation with God and you're constantly walking. And this is going to be so critical for us to hear and to discern the voice of God. I want you to hear a couple of our members as they tell their story about how they practice the presence of God. So something that I have struggled with in my walk with the Lord is kind of this transition from being just a wife to being a mom. And, you know, before kids, there was time alone. There was lots of time where you could spend time with God in peaceful situations. And now it's kind of chaotic. There's cleaning, there's laundry, there's cooking, there's washing dishes, there's getting bags packed. There's a lot of just kind of mundane things that you need to do to take care of your family. And I had kind of gotten to a point where I felt like I was just getting people where they needed to go. And I wasn't really in the presence of God because it didn't look like it looked when it was just Wade and I. Um, But the Lord began to teach me uh, that time with Him is all day. When it comes down to really living, living with God throughout the day, as I have the encouragement from home and church as a launching pad and Getting, uh, getting myself around guys and, and men of faith and spending my time with God one-on-one to start out every morning. It, those three things together make it hard for me to separate myself um, and my faith from who I am as a person. It's not an option as far as if I'm going to spend time with Him. There's going to be some point in my day where I'm alone with Him, whether that be in the morning, before my kids wake up, whether that be at their nap time, if I'm lucky that both of them are down for bed, or if I haven't gotten the opportunity um, Either of those times, I know when I put them down at night um, that I can spend some time with God before I go to bed. The last place I could imagine doing my church every day is in my truck. And I would encourage anyone, if it takes getting in your truck to be with God one-on-one, do it. If it takes um, shutting a door or crawling in a closet, whatever works for you, do it. Because I will tell you, you'll walk out of that um, a changed person. That's important to me. And it's something that I don't take lightly. It's my sacred space every single day. And for those of you who don't have that space, whether it is your truck or not, get a space. You know, we hear sirens pretty much every day when we're driving at some point in time. And that leads us to pray, to pray for the people that they're going to help, um, to pray for a world that is in need of healing. Um, Other ways that I use my senses when I'm dressing my kids uh, during the day, putting on their shoes. I am reminded of scripture that talks about... um, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So I ask God, let, let them be people who bring the good news to others. Thursday night's not an option for us. Our families know about it. The kids come out and they ask, Dad, are, are you doing your Bible study tonight anytime I have a fire going? And one thing that we live by in, in our small group here um, is Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, And um, that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
And that has been our motto um, that we live by um, each and every Thursday and throughout the week as we live life together. We all need our three. They may not be the same ones I have, um, but I will say you need to put some practice in place. You need to carve out time um, in order to merge your life with your faith and live with God every day. Christ came so that we could have fullness and joy. And the only way that we can tap into that fullness and joy is if we're practicing spending time with Him, if we're practicing being in His presence on a daily basis. And in the midst of chaos and trial, we need fullness and joy. We need God's perspective. And so we can have those things if we practice the presence of God. It may not be a monastery, it may be your kitchen, it may be your truck, it may be as you're putting the shoes on your children, but it's learning to practice the presence of God and to walk with Him each step along the way. Here's my working definition. Again, working means it's dynamic. I'm still working on it, but here's where I am with practicing the presence of God. It's being fully alive, aware of His presence. That means whenever I'm washing, cleaning, making, doing, building, tearing down, whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm fully aware of His presence regardless of the circumstances of your present. Wherever you are, whatever's going on does not shape the fact that God is fully there with you. Take your Bibles and find the book of Genesis. Shouldn't be hard. First book in the Bible. You'll be finding it. Well, uh, turn it on, open it up. It'll be on the Sky Bible here in a moment. But uh, we're going to we're going to look at uh, a passage of Scripture that will probably be very familiar to a lot of you about a person. Now listen to this. The person that I'm going to speak of today is so influential. Three of the major religions in the world are built as pillars on the patriarch of this one man's shoulders. The man is Abram, or Abraham is what he'll be called. Sarai or Sarah, as she will be called. But Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all look at Abraham as a patriarch of the faith. That's how important this guy is. And we see kind of him at a stage in his life whenever uh, that uh, he's 75 years old and God is still moving in his life. You're never too old for God to move. You're never too young for God to move, but you're never too old for God to move. So don't ever think, okay, I figured this out. I'm kind of happy and and, and comfortable where I am. No, 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 no. That's when you need to be ready to be uh, shaken up a little bit. Need to be able to think of yourself kind of like Abraham where he might shake you up at 75 and move you somewhere else. But he's influential. Paul develops his entire theology of salvation around the life of Abraham. You can read that in Romans 4 and Galatians chapter 3. You can read a lot about Abraham in the book of Hebrews where in the hall of fame or the hall of faith, if you will, of those of the faith. There's more written on Abraham than any other of the people in that hall of faith. So he is a actually central figure to all of uh, our Christian faith and all of our faith. But what do we see here is we see him also, by the way, he marries his half-sister, Sarah, okay, which is kind of like an Arkansas wedding. You know, we kind of do that around here. But uh, 
So, no, seriously, he's, he marries his half-sister. You can read the account on that later on in Genesis. But uh, the point is, is that uh, he is a major player that God raises up. And he does this in this kind of unique kind of way. So let's just jump in and read. And notice, and you'll hear it very clearly, two different times of the seven times that are recorded in Genesis, two different times you'll find here in this one passage where God speaks, directs, leads, guides him. And so forth. So here he goes, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said, here's the first time, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. Hear all these promises. And so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Man, I'm like, bring it on, God. Okay, and him who dishonors you, I will. Uh, I will, I will curse. And in you, listen to this one, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we'll come back and talk about that in a minute. Then verse four. So Abram went as the Lord said. Now key in on that one. He didn't debate God. He didn't look for a multiple choice with God. He heard from God. He went with God. He went just as the Lord said. And the Lord said, had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old. And he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother-in-law's son, and all the possessions. And they gathered and the people. And they, they had acquired in Haran. So they're gathering up people even as they go from Ur to Haran to Canaan. And they set out to the land of Canaan. And they came in the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Canaan, Canaanites, makes sense, it's their land. Then the Lord appeared. Here's the second time he speaks to Abram and said to him, to your offspring, I will give this land. Basically, stop. You're here. You've arrived. You're where I said I was going to lead you. Okay? So he built an altar to the Lord. Beautiful. And it appeared to him. Uh, who had appeared to him. And there, uh, and from there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel uh, on the west side of Ai on the, on the east. And, and there he built an altar again to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still, going toward the Negev. So he's going all over the land. He's going all over the land that God has given him. He's almost surveying the land, if you will. But the story doesn't end there. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt and sojourned there, for the famine was severe in the land. I want to talk to you about practicing the presence of God today. Just day in, day out, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, how do I practice living fully alive aware of His presence with me, even despite, regardless of my present circumstances. As we look at this, I want us to consider where all He, uh, where all, what we should consider in, in, in practicing His presence. Number one, jot them down. God's voice may lead you past the edge of safety and security. God's voice may lead you past the edge of safety and security. Now, I know 
by our human nature, we like security, we like safety, we like comfort, we like uh, to, to know our surroundings, we like everything predictable, or we like to shake it up every now and then. But by and large, we're safe and secure kind of people. If you've been doing the Experiencing God study with us and you put it down because it's just too much, or you put it down because it's diving too deep into the, into the drawers of your life, into the junk of your life, into the closets of your life, listen, pick it back up. Go at it at your own pace. Don't grow weary in well-doing. I can't say that enough. It's worth plowing through it even after the series is long gone. You're still plowing through it because you're going to get to some, you think it's tough now, wait till you get to week six and week seven and week eight where he's going to really challenge us. And this is a statement that he makes. He made it multiple times in week seven. He said, you cannot go with God and stay where you're at. God is moving. And I don't know if he's going to move you like he moved Abraham. Like he moved him from one part of the world to another part of the world. Now, he may literally move some of you from one part of the world to another part of the world. He may move you across town. He may move you across the job. He may move you out of one bad relationship and hopefully into a better relationship. He may move, move you across to reconcile whenever you don't want to reconcile with somebody. He may move you in a different direction. He may move your children in a different direction. Whatever he is moving, are you willing to go with him? Or do you make excuses? Or do you maintain control? Or do you keep your arms locked in with safety and security? God may move you out of safety and security so that he can take you up in a new path. If you look at this passage, we can't skip over the intensity of God's moving him out of safety and security. If you look at verse 1, he said, And the Lord said, to Abram, go. That's the first thing. Get up, pack up, and get out. From where? Your country, your kindred, your house. Oh, you, you, you don't want to move across the county. No, I want you to leave the country. Your language, your tribe, your people, your comfort, everything that you know, I want you to leave. Hey, by the way, leave your aunts and uncles, your brothers and sisters, leave your, leave your uh, nephews, leave all of them behind. Oh, and by the way, that house that you just built that was so beautiful and awesome and incredible that you, it was your dream home, I want you also to leave the house. God literally disrupts us at times. I'm not saying he's going to do that to you. I'm not, I'm not saying he isn't going to do that to you. I'm just saying, listen, we need to put everything out there and say, God, everything belongs to you, and I am willing to move anywhere and everywhere for you. And he left it all. And some of y'all I know are in this room that here, what is it, nearly Christmas time? You moved here this summer, and you've relocated here, and it's not the paradise that you thought it was going to be. I know you thought Northwest Arkansas was paradise, but it's not the paradise that you thought it was. It's not, well, the friends aren't here like you were, the food's not here like you, the, 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 the church isn't like it used to be, the family's not like it used to be. You are in the state of what are you doing? What did you do, God? Why did you do? And he has totally taken your basket and turned it upside down. And I'm... Sorry. I hurt for you. I hurt with you. I've been there, done that, got a t-shirt, a whole nine yards. But the point is, is God may do that. And he's going to do that to do something in us. 
At 75 years of age, yes, at 70, 65, 55, 45, there is nothing. But here's what we try to do because we like safety and security. We like to control our surroundings. What we do is we move our life into a box. We move our life into a box that I want to call fear. Because here's the thing about this box is I can control the environment of this box. I can see the four walls. I got it all in control. I got my job in control. I got my relationships in control. Everything's predictable. We got routines down. We got kids' schedules down. Everything is very controlled in this box, and I like it like that, God. Thus, thank you so much. Close the lid. Now God may call you out of the box. Think about it like this. If you live in a box of fear, unwilling and unable to move from this box, And let's just pretend for a moment that everything else in this room is the rest of the universe. But you got your little happy family and foster family, no way. Adoption family, no way. Mission family, no way. I'm not going over to Africa. What are you talking about? I'm going to stay in my box. I got my box figured out. God may take that box and he may say, follow me. And you may say, no, thank you. Close the lid back. When we do that, we kill ourselves. We literally do. Everything is out here. God, the the, the people, the experiences, the the, the things of God, had had Abraham never left Ur, had he never gone where he went, what would that have been like? What would have happened? I don't know. I can't go into all those speculations. But listen, we miss out on what God wants to do through us. We stay in the box. I'll tell you about a man named Frank Lombard who himself wrote this in his journal after he surrendered himself to to doing the will of God. He said this, he says, As for me, I, I never lived. I was half dead. I was a rotting tree until I reached the place where I wholly, with utter honesty, resolved and then resolved, re-resolved, that I would find God's will and I would do that will. Though every fiber in me said no, I would win the battle in my thoughts. It was as though some deep artisan well had been struck in my soul. Notice the transformation. He goes from a dead, dying, rotting tree because he's living in a box, living gripped by fears, to now this is artesian well swelling up in his soul. You and I, She'll soon blow away from all of our bodies, money, praise, poverty, opposition. These make no difference for they will all uh, alike be forgotten in a thousand years. But this spirit which comes to a mind set upon a continuous surrender, this spirit is timeless. You see a life coming alive whenever he says yes. I will leave my land. I will leave my family. I will leave my home and I will follow you, Lord. For some of you, it may mean leaving a job. For some of you, it may mean taking a totally different career path. I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine that it's limitless as many as people are in this room. There's limitless to what God may be calling you to do.
Again, it may be walking across the room and forgiving somebody that you would never want to forgive. You're afraid of them. You're afraid of reconnecting with them. But you need to make that step across the room. You know that God's been saying that, but you're afraid to write it down. And you live in that fear and that uncontrolled. Beware. When you hear God's voice on that day-to-day walking with Him, present experience, He will lead you beyond safety and security. Number two is you can anticipate incremental nudges of God. Incremental is the key word there. We would all like to have God's will given to us on a five-year plan, on a full mapped out plan. You go to college for four years in hopes, your parents do anyway, hopes that you will end four years of tuition uh, and go off the parent payroll. Because you have a plan that you're moving through. We, you hope whenever you enter into a relationship, they hope that the relationship will go a certain direction and last a certain length of time. You hope that you take that career and you move your family across the country, that it will be exact. You hope, you hope, but sometimes you don't get everything. You don't get that. You get nudges of God. You get incrementally. We want to hear from God exponentially, but he gives us his will incrementally. There's a big difference in that. It's step by step sometimes. And if we don't obey at this step, he's not going to give us the next step. One, it'd scare our socks off or, or would entice us in for the wrong reason. It's almost like mile markers. You've got to go through this mile marker before you can get to that mile marker. You can't skip a mile marker here. You've got to go from one to the next. Listen to what F.B. Meyer says. I've been reading this book throughout the series. We often make a great mistake thinking that God is not guiding us at all because we cannot see far in front. But this is not his method. He only undertakes that the steps of a good man, the steps of a good man should be ordered by the Lord. Not the next year. But tomorrow, not the next mile, but the next yard. Not the whole pattern, but the next stitch in the canvas. If you expect more than this, you will be disappointed and get back into the dark. But I want that relationship so badly, God. Why don't I have that relationship? I don't know. But you be faithful where you are right now, at the mile marker that you're at right now. And you let God worry about the next mile marker. And you be faithful right now. And you do what he tells you to do right now. And let him lead you to the next mile marker. In verse 1, it said this very troubling statement to me. He said, leave your father's house, leave all the kindred, leave all of the country, leave all your wealth, leave everything, leave everything you know to a land that I will show you. He didn't even give him a zip code. He didn't give him a forwarding address. He he couldn't even tell his family, hey, I'm going to go over there to Canaan. He went to a place that God would show him. In fact, in Hebrews, it affirms this, it confirms this. Hebrews 11, 8 and 9, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Wow! Wow! By faith, he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land. He was a foreigner. 
And you know what the thing about God is? You'd think that God would be very efficient with his planning and his, his mapping out of our life. And as we take that one step and then he leads us to the next mile marker and he leads us to the next mile marker, you'd think, okay, if I'm following your plan, God, you're going to lead me in the straightest, most efficient, no problem kind of path. And that's just not the way it goes. In fact, when you look at this map, you think, God, what were you thinking? He takes him north before he brings him south. I could have gone from Babylon to Bethel in a lot faster route. God is not always efficient. But his plan is always perfect. He leads him up to a place called, oh, he leads him through Nineveh, he leads him to Haran. Aleppo, by the way, there. You remember Gary Johnson, I guess that one in Canada, he didn't know where Aleppo was. There it is, all right, it's in the Bible. He goes to Haran. Haran, why Haran? And he stays in Haran for a while. And if you remember, he picks up some people in Haran that travel with him. They become the people of Israel. They become a part of the nation of Israel. Now, don't make light of that because, I mean, had he gone from Babylon to Bethel, he wouldn't have gone to Haran. But he goes all the way to, to Haran, then Aleppo, then down through northern Syria, then down through Lebanon, then down to Bethel. He wasn't efficient at all, but God took him to a place that he needed him to go to connect with the people that he needed him to connect with so that they can continue on in the journey. Listen, you might have thought God was leading you from A to C, but he has actually led you over here to go back to here, to go back to here, to go back to here. It's not always the most efficient, but it is always his perfect plan. Will you go with him? And I love what, what he does as he encounters God at each one of those ways. As he lands finally in, in verse 7, he says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, To your offspring I will give him this land. You've arrived. You're here. This is the land. And then what does that, uh, Abram do? He turns around and he builds an altar. And he goes a little further and he builds another altar. This is a beautiful thing here that we cannot skip over. Every time God moved him a little further, he stops and he builds an altar. Every time you see Abram move in his life, you'll see him stop and build an altar. He builds an altar. He builds an altar. Why does he build an altar? Does he need that many altars around? No, I don't think so at all. I think it's to help his generation and the next generation and the next generation to remember, oh yeah, God led us here. Oh, yeah, God took us here. When you're doing experiencing God, you're going to come to a chapter that's going to talk about spiritual markers. So spiritual markers are little, little signposts in your life, little stakes in the ground, little flagship moments in your life whenever God did something. And you're going to be able to look back in years later whenever God moves you again. Maybe it's going to be 75. He's going to keep moving in your life. And he's going to move. And you're going to think, oh, God, I can't do this. This is a big move. God, I can't make this step. This is a big step. And you're going to give all the reasons why. And God's going to say, look back at all those altars of all those places of all those things that I've done. We're going to do something around here this Christmas that we've never done before. I'm excited about it. But we're going to talk about how to help Christmas get passed to the next generation. How to make sure our faith is being passed to the next generation. And part of that's going to be putting markers in the ground as we go to make sure the next generation doesn't miss out on Christ. Let me end with a third reality. 
One is he just gives us little nudges along incrementally as we obey him. He, we obey him. We obey him. He leads us. We obey him. He leads us. You know, we've got to see that. We've got to, we've got to see here that uh, whenever he leads us, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uneasy. It's going to be unfamiliar. But here's the third one. We need to guard against disillusionment when things don't go as we planned. We plan. We're planners, especially as Western mind people. We think that following God's will should be something like a graph. Everything goes from the bottom as we follow God up and to the left, up and to the right, up and, you know, things just go like that. You follow God, there are no issues. You just keep following God, okay? And your life is going to get better. This is a more realistic uh, actually graphed uh, to show what it means to walk with God. And I really mean this. I think what we do is we start walking with God and boom, man, God does this great work in our life and it's beautiful. And then all of a sudden the honeymoon wears off, something fades and then boom, we're back down about as low as we started. And then we keep walking with God. And we climb out of that. We climb out of that just long enough to start doing loops and we're just like stuck in this cycle. We think we're moving ahead, then we move back. Then we think we're moving ahead and we move back. And I don't know how long. You could probably draw circles for a long time. You just keep circling the wagons. Israel circled for 40 years in the wilderness. Think about that. Circling for 40 years. And then somehow we get out of that. We climb a little higher, then we dip a little lower, and then we climb a little higher. And then we hit this thing called a plateau. Our prayers get cold. Our worship gets stale. We're like, well, it's time to try another church. Well, it's time to try another relationship. Well, it's time to try another job. I've heard people excuse it like this. You know, about every three or four years, we've got to move. Maybe that's the way it works. I don't know. Or maybe it's just an unsettledness. Maybe you just need to hang out there. You move from signpost to signpost. You need to make sure God's leading you each of those steps of the way. And when things don't work as you planned, what are you going to do? Where are you out in this graph right now, by the way? Are you in circles? Are you in the bottom? Are you on the top? Are you on a plateau? Where would you put yourself on this map? And here's one of the things I want you to see. You're hear me say it again and again and again. Don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. I've said it 50 times if I've said it one time before. I'm going to say it again tonight. Don't doubt in the dark what God's revealed in the light. Don't doubt in the dark what God's revealed in the light. If God has given you truth from his word, truth through somebody, truth, uh, listen, hang on to it. Build your life on it. There is so much in this passage of Scripture, eschatologically, soteriologically. There's so much in this passage. I cannot do it justice. But as you see him leading him and Lot and Sarah and the family and the people they pick up in Haran and they're moving and they finally land in this place and okay isn't it going to be wonderful god you give us the promised land it's awesome isn't it look at verse 10 now there was a famine in the land god's will may lead you to a famine for lack of a better word that sucks that's that's bad. 
That's no bueno. That's all the Spanish I've got. It's no fun. God, I was obeying you. God, I thought this was what you wanted me to do. And now I'm in this endless job. I'm, I'm now I'm in this relationship. And now I'm here and now I'm there. And, you know, and we can go on and on and we can peel it back the layers of it. And listen, what stinks is that God led me here. Where did I miss you along the way? God, listen, God may literally lead you to a famine. And here's, let me add, add insult to this, the whole thing. He may not give you everything that you thought you were going to get. This is a troubling verse, Hebrews eleven thirteen. It's at the end of everything that had been said about, about Abraham. And it says, and these all died in the faith. That's good. They didn't give up their faith. They, they held true to the faith, not having received the things promised. Wow. You mean literally I might live my entire life and not see... Everything that I thought was going to be mine? Because listen, this may be just an epiphany to you today. I'm not meaning this in an insulting kind of way, please. Because I have to remind myself of this often. This world is not about me. It is about the God of the universe who spoke it all into existence. And that God literally may use me as a part of his plan for this season, but my life may not be so clear-cut. You know, it was thousands of years later before the promise of God that he said he would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And that verse that I had you underline earlier where it says, I will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Listen, that is a prophecy of Jesus' coming. And it was millennia later before Jesus ever came. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Probably most of you all have not read the genealogies, but the book of genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. All the nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham. Listen, you might live your life and it may literally end with an ellipsis and not a period. Here's what I want to ask you now. Will you be okay with God if He doesn't give you everything you want to make you as happy as you want to be? If your plans don't work out the way you thought they were going to work out, what if your plan seems incomplete and undone? Don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. You just keep walking in faith. Good parents, good parents have lost babies. Hardworking adults have lost jobs. Healthy people have gotten cancer. Faithful partners have had unfaithful partners. Good kids have been abandoned and neglected. It may not all work the way we think it's going to work. But the question is, is will we still have the faith when things don't work out as we had planned? Next week, I'm going to talk about learning how to trust the man and not the plan. 
I don't want to close with telling you a story, a true story. Bob and Nancy Calvert, good friends of ours, they were actually in our worship service last weekend. I, did, I wasn't here. Lori was here. Lori told me about them. We knew they were coming at some time. And, and you don't know Bob and Nancy. Most of y'all don't know Bob and Nancy. Maybe some of y'all do. They're, they're, they live in Little Rock. I was able to be in Little Rock this week and was able to catch up with Bob and, and, and hear a little bit more of his story. But, but before you pack up, listen to this. So... Bob and Nancy raised their kids in eastern Kenya. I met them in 1996 when our church, or 1995 probably, when our church went over to help build their home that they were going to live in in the Rift Valley of Kenya to work among the Maasai people. It was the very first time I'd ever met the Maasai. If you don't know the Maasai, they're one of the most incredible, eccentric People. They were unreached at this time. Bob, among other missionaries, were there reaching the people. Beautiful work that they had done for 20 years. Lived, breathed, and ate, and slept with the Maasai. Five years, last five years of their ministry, they were just doing, helping, equipping other missionaries and other churches to do it. Beautiful work. Then all of a sudden, Bob hears back home, back in Little Rock, of his mom's deteriorating health and her dementia that's kind of setting in. It's like, wow, what are we going to do? So they took a leave of absence that ended up in a retirement that they said, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to help take care of mom and dad. So they started building a house, built a house right next to mom and dad. Mom couldn't even recognize them most of the time because the dementia had taken over so much. And dad, though, he was still ticking along. He ended up having heart surgery and ended up getting his his heart strong again. And Bob and dad, for about 14 months, built their house together with their bare hands. And just a beautiful time of dad. And this was the mission that God had called them to. This is the new chapter in their life. They move into their home. Two days later, dad dies. Seven weeks later, mom dies. What? are you doing, God? Everything that we knew is back here. Everything. And we followed you, God, to here. But now here's gone. What are we going to do? And I'm sitting there having coffee with him and he's telling me this. But he is a man and he doesn't know what he's going to do. He's given up that. He's here. He's sitting his house, his brand new house that he built, is sitting next to an empty house that he's got to sell. It doesn't make sense. And he shares a verse with me that I've never read before and never paid attention before, glazed over real quickly, if anything. It's Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. It says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Basically a rhetorical question. Are you fearing God? Do you respect God? Do you believe God? Are you walking with God? Are you living for God? Are you trusting God? I hope so. Listen, you'd think that the next part of that verse is going to be this bright, shiny. If you're fearing God, you're walking with God, listening to His voice, you're going to be blessed of God. He's going to pour out His blessings on you. But notice the next part of this verse, it says this, let him who walks in darkness and has no light. He said, Mike, I'm walking in darkness. He said, I know that I followed God up to this point, but I'm walking in darkness. And I don't know what I'm going to do. 
So what am I going to do? I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord and rely on Him. And He said this, and I want you to do this with me for a moment. Just close your eyes. I want you to enter into the darkness of a person who's walking with God, practicing the presence of God. Just close your eyes. You can't see anything. You can't see two inches or two feet in front of you. But you can still hear my voice. You can still hear my voice. So it is with a person who walks in darkness that fears God. There are going to be seasons in your life that you're going to walk in darkness. But you keep fearing God and you will keep hearing His voice and you can trust Him in the darkness. met somebody in the gallery area just before coming in that was in the first gathering. They said their son was tragically killed on a motorcycle six months ago. He said, I'm walking in darkness. Some of you are walking in darkness, but you're trusting God. Keep listening to His voice. Father, You know where we're at even when we don't know where we're at. On the continuum of your plan, God, you aren't always efficient. You aren't always linear. You don't take shortcuts. You got plans all along the way. Father, help us to practice your presence. When our plans aren't what they thought, when you don't give us the full plan, whenever, Lord... You call us out of safety and security. Help us to say yes. Help us to trust you. Help us to listen to you, even when we can't see you. In Jesus' name, amen.